This Torah class is brought to you by TorahAnytime.com. What, what, are the, what are the problems of our generation? Um, is relationships? That's a pretty big problem. A lot of kids don't have good relationships with their parents. A lot of husbands and wives don't have good relationships with each other. Um, we have abusive relationships. We have dysfunctional relationships. So, what are the things that's getting damaged the most because of it is our relationship with Hashem. Because if I can't have a relationship with myself, and I can't have a relationship with my parents, who I see, right, who I see, who I talk to, who talk back to me, um, my husband and my wife, my children, all my different relationships in my life, if I can't make that work, I'm going to have a relationship with God who I can't really see. I mean, I could, I could but... Most people can't. What I mean, I could. What do you mean, Red Wilson? He appears to you at night. Are you a, Are you the Messiah? No. Uh, I see him through his through his creations. It's sort of like if you study Picasso. Anyone know who Picasso is? The famous painter. I have a very funny story about Picasso. Should I go off subject for a minute? Yeah. yeah? Okay, I'm going to go off subject, but you have to bring me back, okay? Because I'm ADD and I'm not going to be able to come back. So there were these two Jewish women who went to Paris. In Paris, there's a museum called the... Oh, come on. You're, none of you are cultured? There's a what? The, the Louvre. The Louvre. Thank you. You're welcome. Okay. The Louvre. In the Louvre... The Louvre. ...is the famous Mona Lisa. Really? Yeah. So, these two Jewish women from Borough Park, they got free tickets. They want a thing to go to... Paris. So part of the tour is the Louvre. All right. So they come to the Louvre, and of course the French uh, curator, right? They're very royal. They're very classic. They come to a room. I don't know if you ever saw Mona Lisa. It's a teeny little painting. It's smaller than this. Okay. Very small. No, that's what everybody thinks. No, it's very small. Very small. So. Uh, no, but when they show it, they don't. They show it, but but it's very small. Anyway, Daphne, you want to hear a cute story? Is that Daphne? That's a, oh, it's not Shira. You want to hear a cute story? Anyway, so these two Jewish Borough Park ladies get a free ticket to go to to France, and um, they go to the Louvre because that's part of the tour. They come in, and there's ten people in the group, and the curator takes them, you know, through the thing. And they come to the room with this big light on this teeny little painting. You ever seen Mona Lisa? It's a little, it's a little thing. It's a little painting. A little painting. And he says in the French, I know a little French, he says in French, this is the Mona Lisa, one of the most famous paintings ever created. Well, the Jewish lady looks at this painting of Mona Lisa, Helen! What, Myrtle? That's one ugly woman. Why would anyone ever paint such an ugly woman? The French guy's like, in his whole life, you, no one ever called the Mona Lisa ugly. So in French he goes, <laughs> He's beyond himself. But he's French. He can control himself. 
Alright, come to the next room. Next room, very famous, just as famous as the Mona Lisa, Mornet Fleurs. In English, it's Mornet's Flowers. Mornet was a very famous painter. And the flowers, I don't know if you've ever seen them, is in a, is in a vase on a table. And he starts telling the ten people, This is the Mornet Fleur. Even more rare than the Mona Lisa. Helen! Why? My granddaughter, for the sukkah, made much nicer flowers than this Monet guy. That's it. That's it. Over. Security! Security! Security guard. What? What's going on? Get these two ladies out of my museum! And they're like, what? In French, right. What, 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 what? Out! Don't ever come back. So he throws them out. They just like competition. Huh? They just like competition. <laughs> no, like, you can't make fun of Mona Lisa and Monet's flowers. You, you can't. You're not, you're not cultured. Why am I telling you this story? It's a funny story, but why am I telling you this story? You don't belong in a museum of art if you don't understand art. Because to you, if you, don't, if you didn't study art, she's, she's not a beautiful woman, the Mona Lisa. Why would someone paint her? And flowers, the flowers, Monet's flowers, if you look at it, you think it's, 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 it's a kid that drew it. It's, it's nothing special. I've seen it. But if you study it and you understood the brushstroke and the colors and what he did, you'd understand it's worth hundreds of millions of dollars. I read this story in a safer, in a book, Parables for Shabbos. The objective of a person in this world is to study the artist so that wherever you go, you realize the beauty and the fantastic creation that the artist created. And that's Hashem. So does Robert Wallstein see Hashem? Absolutely. I see him in a butterfly. I see him in a tree. I see him in a color. I see him in an emotion. Wow. An emotion is something that is so powerful that it could kill you. It could make you so happy. It could make you so happy. It could make you love. It could make you hate. It's not normal. But you can't see it. And you can't touch it. And you can't smell it. And you can't hear it. I could laugh and be miserable inside. I could smile and be miserable inside. The emotional world is not normal. It's actually the spiritual world. It's the non-physical world. So do I see Hashem in emotions? Absolutely. All the time. Do I see him through creation? Absolutely. All the time. When I was a little boy, I lived in Muncie, and the yeshiva that I went to had a huge yard, a huge, huge yard. And 
there were a lot of caterpillars, a lot of caterpillars in that yard. And I, I have to do tshuva because, and I hope they won't take revenge after I'm not in this world anymore, but I used to take magnifying glasses and using the sun, not only burning leaves, they used to burn caterpillars. I hope they don't come back one day and attack the attack of the caterpillars because Wallerstein killed their grandparents. But um, pretty little ugly thing. In, in Hebrew it's called, anyone here know what a caterpillar is called in Hebrew? A gailum. It's called a gailum. Caterpillar is called a gailum. So, I saw cocoons. And I would, in the beginning I thought they were like, cocoons were like eating the trees, but they weren't. Um, and I was fascinated by the monarch butterfly. That's the butterfly that hangs around in America. And the wingspan, the whole, the whole it was beautiful insect. And I, I'm a guy. I'm not weird. So, like, I'm a hockey player and stuff. And I, it was a little bit different that I was studying butterflies. Because it's not like a guy thing. But I was very fascinated by them. So in eighth grade, I asked my Rebbe. He thought it was chutzpah, but it wasn't. I said, I don't get it. I already had studied it very much. I, at that time, they didn't have Google. All they had was encyclopedias. And the best encyclopedia was called an Encyclopedia Britannica. And the library, it's funny that when you remember as a kid, the library, Finkelstein Library in Muncie, had that. Had that. So I had, I had pictures, and I read all about the whole metamorphosis. I came to my Rebbe in eighth grade, and I said, Rebbe, the caterpillar metamorphoses into a butterfly. Why wouldn't Hashem create a caterpillar and a butterfly? He didn't, he didn't make a cat metamorphosize into a lion. He didn't do it with any other creature. So, did he run out of time? When he created bugs, he's like, Ah, we got no more time! So you'll just have to, when you get a chance, become a butterfly. So he thought that was chutzpah. I didn't mean it that way. And he said, if you ever ask a question on Hashem again, I will throw you out. I wasn't asking a question on Hashem. Well, it was sort of, but I didn't ask anymore. But I never went out of my head. When I started teaching girls that were struggling, I understood the whole thing. And then I learned to Zaya, which my Rebbe didn't know, which blew me away. And I thought like this. And now, after doing what I do, I see it much more than I ever saw it. So you got these little fat caterpillars living at the bottom of a tree. You know what they do all day? They mulch. You know what mulch means? They chew, they eat leaves. That's it. Fat little things, and they're all, they, they, they're like all on top of each other, and they eat leaves. That's how they live. And birds come down and they eat them. There's this one caterpillar, one of you girls in this room, I'm not going to say who she is. There's this one caterpillar who says, life can't be just sitting at the bottom of a tree eating a bunch of leaves. There's got to be more to it than that. And it starts to read. And it finds out that there's something called a cocoon up in the tree 
And if you climb a tree and you go to the cocoon, you go in with 11 sets of legs, 22 little short, fat, stubby legs, and some fuzz, and you go into that cocoon and you come out with wings. And it tells its friends, girls, let's go up there and get wings. Let's not be a bunch of fat little caterpillars sitting at the bottom of a tree waiting to get eaten by a bird. And they're like, girl, what are you smoking? There's no wings. There's no such thing as wings. We listen to those idiots. It's just a fairy tale. Everyone knows it's a fairy tale. Okay? My friends don't want to go. So she stays behind, but she's like, I can't live this life. This is not a life. Maybe they're right. Maybe the whole thing's a story. But you know what? This life I don't want. I want a real life. I'm going to give it a shot. So this little singular I always think of myself as this little singular caterpillar says, I'm going up that tree to find the truth. And he goes up the tree, and of course, all the friends on the bottom are like, ah, idiot. Come on, hang out with us. Chill, baby. Let's chill in the park till three in the morning. Life's about chilling, not about growing. Let's stay with your fat little feet. And the poor caterpillar, as she's climbing the, the, the tree, is being shouted at that you're a fool. But then, she sees a cocoon. And she's like, aha, it's not a dream. It's not a fantasy. You go in one side, and you come out with wings. Very excited. So she goes into the cocoon. Girls, let me tell you what goes on in that cocoon. I've actually had cocoons. What goes on in that cocoon is really bad stuff. Bad stuff. The, the caterpillar dies. Not only does it die, its belly splits open. And the guts come out. Let's finish the story. And the guts come out. And it's called a chrysalis. The chrysalis is the, butterf- the, the caterpillar becomes powder. And it's in there for 30 days. Must be really bad stuff. Because when the caterpillar begins to die, it's like, it was a trap. The whole thing was a trap. My friends were right. This whole thing is a trap. This life of beauty, baloney. And it dies. And 30 days later, the cocoon begins to open on the bottom very little. And there's a butterfly in there that's alive. It's sort of like still a caterpillar because like it's the middle lava, but it's got to get its wingspan. And the way you get your wingspan, I never killed one because I didn't know. Um, the way it gets its wingspan is it pushes its way through that little hole slowly and the, the liquid in the middle of the lava gets pushed into the wings. But I wanted to help the butterfly. I thought it was struggling. So I opened the cocoon and it fell out and it plopped and it was just this little fat thing almost like a caterpillar and it went smish. So struggle muscle gives you what? 
What? Wake up! What does struggle muscle give you? Wings! I told them upstairs, Humpty Dumpty. Right. I, t- I told them about Humpty Dumpty upstairs. Today in my shit, they're like, what are you talking about? I'm like, when I was in, in, kindergarten, in pre-1A, my teacher taught us Humpty Dumpty. Humpty Dumpty sat on a wall. Humpty Dumpty had a great fall. All the king's horses, all the king's men. Couldn't put Humpty Dumpty back together again. So I raised my hand and I said, Mora. She said, yes, Wallerstein. I was totally out of the box as a kid. I said, why couldn't they put him back together again? Bob Kasha! What kind of stupid story? It's a say, can't and can. It's the same. It's one word. So Humpty Dumpty said, all right, all the kids could, could, could put it back together again. Isn't that a nicer story to tell a kid than they couldn't back, put it back together and thinking about this poor little egg on the floor in a bunch of pieces? What kind of, what kind of nasty story, song is that? And she said, it's a rhyme. It's a song. That's how, she, that's how it was written. Great answer. They gave us great answers as kids. Now, Rabbi Wallerstein understands that whoever wrote Humpty Dumpty was brilliant. Why? Because girls, all the king's horses and all the king's men can't put Humpty Dumpty back together again. Only Humpty Dumpty can. Wow, smart man wrote that, wrote that song. Nobody could put you back together again. Only you can. Anyway, so the butterfly is now... So therefore, you can't help it. It's got to suffer. Even at the end, before it flies, right before it flies, it's got to push, struggle, and, and its mamash takes days. You see the feet, and you see a little wing, it takes days. You just have to sit there and watch. So now you got this butterfly on the edge of a leaf, 20 feet above the ground, but it doesn't know it's a butter. It doesn't know it has wings. Why? Because where's the wings? And it's back. So all it does is look down and all it sees is what does it have? Two little twiggy legs. So it gave up 22 feet, 22 little feet, and now it's got two little feet. It's thinking, well, they sold me. I went through torture in that room and now I come out, they sold me a story. How am I going to go down to my friends? They got 22 legs, I got two little twiggies. And Nebuchadnezzar is standing there at the edge of this tree and it's lost. Until another butterfly comes by and says, what are you doing? What are you, what are you standing there for? Let's go. He's like, let's go. How am I going? He says, you see what I got on my back? You got the same thing. By far, the scariest moment of a butterfly is the first time it leaps off a leaf because it never flew before. At the same time as that being the scariest moment of its life, by far the best moment of its life. I am no longer a caterpillar on the bottom of a tree. I am the most beautiful insect that God created. I'm a butterfly. So when it comes to growth, and it comes to change, and your friends are like, eh, what they're promising you getting close to Hashem, it's not going to make you feel better. All this other Yiddish kind of stuff, it's not going to make you feel better. Ach, you're like us. You're sitting, you're, you're little, the bottom, you sit at the bottom and, 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 and do your drugs and do your boys and do your stuff and, and enjoy life because really there's nothing really up there. There's nothing really there. Yeah, most people are still at the bottom of the tree. But that moment, and I had that moment in my life, that moment when you find out you have wings and you're not a caterpillar, it's scary. It's amazing. The flight of the butterfly 
is amazing. Not only is it an insect, by far the most beautiful insect that Hashem created. By far. Oh, it comes from struggle. And every single person has that in them. And the reason I opened up the seminaries and whatever that I do is because I know there are a lot of people at the edge of the tree standing there very scared. And they need someone to show them, you're a superstar. You got wings. And then we take what the Zaya says. A butterfly is called a parpar. The Zaya says that the proof of Tchiasamesim, it says that by Tchiasamesim, the powder, the bones, is going to turn into, into new, new bodies. But how could that be? The bones are dead. Says the Zaya, look at the butterfly. When it dies and it becomes a chrysalis, becomes a powder, that powder ends up coming back alive. There's no veins, there's no heart. It comes back alive into a butterfly. So after, after Mashiach comes, the bones in the ground are going to come back to be the most beautiful human beings. So his raya, his proof, to Tchiasamesim, is the butterfly. And therefore, Hashem took one insect, one insect, and gave it this power of metamorphosis. To prove Tchiasamesim. My Rebbe didn't know that. So he didn't share it with me. So yes, you can get to know God by... If you, stu- if, you st- if you study Picasso, then you don't need to see the signature on the bottom of the painting, Picasso. The minute you look at the painting, it's, that's a Picasso. When you walk outside and you look at Shemayim, it's, that's God. When you go to the doctor and you, when you find out how your body works, that's God. When you eat something that has a taste and a color and a shape, even though the ground that it comes from has no taste or shape, and the air that it grows in has no taste or shape, and the sun that gives sunlight has no taste or shape, and the water has no taste or shape, so the four things that make everything grow that's full of taste and shape have no taste or shape. So when I look at it, I bite into an apple, I'm like, that taste is coming from God, because it ain't coming from the dirt, because dirt don't taste like an apple. And it's not coming from the sun, or the sky, or the air, or the water. Because it doesn't taste like water. So he's everywhere. Shem is everywhere. If you don't study him, you don't recognize him. You come to the museum, and you're totally uneducated. And then, guess what? They throw you out of the museum because you don't belong there. Chatz v'shalom, chatz v'shalom, chatz v'shalom, chatz Anyway, I didn't get to my story that I wanted to tell you, but it's late. Um, but everything that's supposed to come out, comes out. And I guess that's very important. I want to just end with this. I told the girls the story upstairs. I actually heard the story two days ago. And I was mamish. I don't cry easy. I was crying. So this woman comes to... So the whole night of Pesach is where Hashem shows off that his children that he took out of Mitzrayim on the 59th, 49th level of Tumah, filthy, dirty, disgusting people, because we were serving up in Zarah, that when the Malachim said, why are you taking them? They're just as bad as the Mitzrayim. Hashem said, I can see through the mud and the dirt. I see they're beautiful. They have the nicest features in the world. I want to marry them, and I want to go to Hasinai under the Chuppah, and I want to marry, I want to marry these, these people. And Hashem, by the Seder, takes, takes all the Malachim and the angels to everybody to see the Malachim to see that his nation, that he was right. That under the mud and filth, look at her, she's gorgeous. Okay, it's, if you want to hear it, it's on Torah anytime. It took me an hour and 20 minutes to go through the story tonight. But I just heard this story. So this woman comes to a Rebbe. She's really not pretty. I don't want to use the word ugly, but she's ugly. And 
she comes to the Rebbe and she says, Rabbi, I need you to help me. He says, what can I do for you? She says, I, um, my husband ran away. He ran away from me and I, I want him back. So the Rebbe said, why did he run away? She said, I don't take showers. I don't, I'm obese. Um, I smell. I, I, I stopped taking care of myself. I went into a depression. I'm pretty much downright disgusting. And he can't live with it anymore. So the Rebbe said, so uh, what can I do for you? I can't do anything for you. She said, I want you to do me one favor. And she reaches into her pocket and she takes out a picture. My checkbook, but she takes out a picture. And she says, Rabbi, I want you to look at this picture. He doesn't know what he says. I don't really look at women's pictures. She goes, you can look at this picture. It's news. Okay, she gives him this picture. It's of her, 30 years ago, at the wedding, at her wedding, in her wedding gown. Drop, dead, gorgeous. Amazing. He says, I'm not going to say this, but you're a very beautiful woman. She says, I want you to go to my husband. I want you to find him. I'll tell you where he is. I want you to give him my pic- this picture. Give him this picture and tell him that if he comes back, I'm going to look like this again. But he needs to come back. Okay. He goes to the guy. Rebbe gets up. He says, Rebbe, how can I help you? He said, I just met your wife. He goes, Ugh, her. He said, She said, I should give you something. Oh, she wrote me a letter? No, she didn't write you a letter. She just wants me to give you this picture. And he gives her the picture of this girl 30 years before in her wedding gown. And the guy's just looking at it and he just starts to cry. He says, Yeah, that was my Miriam. That was my Miriam. But that's not my Miriam anymore. And the Rebbe says, listen to me. I met her today. She promises, if you come back, she's going to look exactly like she did on her wedding day. But she needs you to come back. And when I tell the story, I see it. I know what Miriam looks like. I know what he looks like. I see him crying. I got very emotional when I first heard this story. I heard it. You know who said it? Shlomo Kalabach. What was he, what's the story about? So he said, Hashem, we know we're not beautiful anymore. We do, we do a lot of bad things. We do a lot of stuff we shouldn't be doing. We're assimilating. We're off the derech. Boys and girls. Lack of sneers. Not keeping Shabbos. Whatever. We're not so pretty. We're not so pretty anymore. We stop taking care of ourselves. And you left us. You didn't divorce us. We're not divorced. But we're definitely separated. We're in Golos. Hashem. Pesach night at the Seder. When all the children are sitting around the table in their beautiful suits and the silver's on the table and everyone's radiant and we're reading the Haggadah and we're talking about how you took us out of Mitzrayim and we're talking about the old days. Remember what we looked at, looked like, when you fell in love with us. 
We promise if you would just take us out of Gullus, if you would just come back, we're not going to look like this anymore. We're going to look like the Kala that you married by Hasinai. But we can't do it unless you come back. And Shlomo said, that's the Kavana you need to have when you're sitting by the Seder. I don't want to open my door and Eliyahu and Navi invisible comes to my house. I want Mashiach where I can see Eliyahu and Navi. Hashem, we promise you we know we gained a lot of weight. We're not looking so pretty. We haven't taken a shower in a while. But if you come back, we're going to be the old girl you used to know. So you need to come back. And I think that if we have that kavana by the Seder, Hashem will sit in his kisya covered and look at the picture of Klyestrol when we left Mitzrayim. And remember what it was like. And he'll come back. And we won't have to suffer anymore. You know, we were amazing. We were crazy amazing. You know that? Yeah, God's amazing, but we were just as amazing. Imagine a guy proposes to you. And he never took you out to eat. And he proposes to you and you're waiting for the bracelet. And you're like, will you marry me? Yeah. Okay. I'm like, where's the pocket? Where's it? And she goes like, so, uh, okay, yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah. Necklace, bracelet, watch, ring, I don't know, something. Nothing. Okay, good. Mother Tar, we're engaged. Uh, surprise in the car. Nothing in the car. Um, so we're, we're going out to eat? Um, no. Um, we're going to my parents' house? L'chaim? No. Where are we going? Well, we're engaged. I think maybe we'll go for a walk. I don't think it's going to go very well. Hashem came to Klai Yisrael. You know what he said? Leich teich acharai by Midbar. I want to marry you. Let's get engaged. Let's go into the desert. Food? Oh no, some stuff on your back, some dough. It's going to turn into tasteless matzah. Water? No water. We're going to Israel? Nope. And we said, I love you so much, Hashem. You're not giving me no jewelry. You're not giving me no nothing. You want me to go in the desert with you? You're saying, will you marry me and then let's go to the desert? Absolutely. They had something. They had the ten makos. That didn't help them. That killed them. Yeah, but it showed something about Hashem. That he loved us. It's very nice. We went out. We went on ten dates, and I like it. We like you. But now we're getting engaged. Hello, uh, ring, uh, something, watch. I don't know, a bracelet, necklace. Take me out to eat. Let's go to the loft. I don't know, something. Midbar. You, hello, will you marry me? Now let's go to the desert. Yeah, Klaistro was on that on that level, and Hashem needs to remember that. We said we'll follow you anywhere. 
Could you turn off the camera? I want to tell them a story, but me and my wife, but I don't want to make it public. You've just experienced another Torah class brought to you by TorahAnytime.com.